This is Eric McCoy. Thank you for tuning in to Recovering Through Highness. You know, as many know my history with legal trouble and my battle as I work to move forward as a six-time convicted felon, it became very important to me to fight the stigma and misinformation such as, you're a horrible person, someone to be feared, never to be trusted, and you should never hire this person because of their record. I started Serenity Life Counseling in Anaheim in 2009 to help curb the recidivism by helping to empower those who had records, those that were in custody. And I stood by them in court as I proposed an alternative sentence rather than them returning back to prison. Now, I'm very excited today to introduce my guest because I consider him a brother in arms as our stories may be different, but the same. Ronnie recently was released from a California state prison. And I want to thank you, Ronnie, for taking the time this afternoon to come and to meet with us. Yes, sir. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I want to ask you really quick, um, you know, as we, as we look at this stigma that we have and that, you know, you being a multiple convicted felon, and I think we talked that you had about six prison terms in your life and 30 something arrests throughout your life. What do you think is your biggest battle in getting back to society? I feel that the hardest part for me is, um, you know, adjusting to my surroundings and being around a lot of people, groups of people. Um, a lot of people judge you. They, they judge you. They kind of look at you a certain way. Um, like, as you said, you know, I uh, can't be trusted and what. So um, I think that and getting jobs is a hard, hard thing for all of us um, who've been to prison and coming out into society. Um, I think it helps if we have a roof over our head, um, like sober living or some kind of uh, treatment and what. But a lot of these places, they have long lists to get in. So. Absolutely. It, it makes it easier when they do provide health. You know, California has one of the highest recidivism rates in the country. And, you know, it statistically says that about 58% of individuals that are released from prison end up back in the system within three years. And that's compared to the national average of 40% when you're ultimately excluding California. And that's a crazy number. And I'm gonna talk, I wanna talk about that, but, but first, before we get to that, um, I wanna ask you, where did your legal troubles begin? My legal troubles began uh, in Riverside in uh, 1996. Yeah, um, it, was, uh, it was the first time where I caught a case and ended up in, um, in county jail and uh ended up going upstate and caught my first number for your first yes. arrest yeah i went to prison on that one but i have a juvenile record that i that i had prior to the prison um prison record my first arrest or first arrest arrest was uh when i was probably about 13 years old and um it was for vandalism you know i, I ended up doing i think probably about a year or something like that less than a year eight months 
Okay. Yeah, because uh, it was vandalism on my own house. Yeah, I was trying okay. to get back into my own house. And then your yeah. first your first term, what what did you go to prison for? Um, the first term was for uh, domestic domestic violence. Yeah. And what happened with that? Um, I ended up getting sheesh. I got uh, sixteen months, I believe, for domestic violence, and I took a lot of classes. Took uh, even classes aside from uh, what requirements were. You know, I took parenting, codependency, life skills, anger management, along with the domestic violence classes during my time of incarceration, because I wanted to get the best of. Uh, uh, I wanted to gain the most knowledge I could in finding out. Uh, what it was that was causing me to be the kind of person I was, you know, and I've learned a lot from it. Has anger always been a problem for you? Anger has been a problem for me in my past. I grew up in a really uh, dysfunctional family with an abusive household uh, stepfather and uh, upbringing, you know, and uh, it was pretty bad. You know, I made the decision at a young age uh, to run away, and that was when I ran away at 13 and decided to come back home and got in trouble for vandalism, but yeah, uh, I, I, I ran the streets at 13, and I raised myself, uh, survived, became a tattoo artist, and that was my income. I want to mention real quick on, on my screen, for anybody who just looks at my screen, this is the artwork of Ronnie, and he is an artist. Um, and I actually just learned that you are also doing artwork for the Sheriff's Department. Yeah, the, um, I've done uh, several... Uh, logo designs uh, in the hall of justice it's a tunnel that every single person that gets incarcerated in the downtown area they see those uh, historic badges on the wall um, and you know the portrait of the first sheriff in riverside county and uh, it's it was a pretty rare um, uh, i guess you could say uh, privilege to be able to even put your hand on the walls period and to actually uh, utilize the talent that I have in creating something that is uh, appreciated, um, it shows that I have what it takes um, to 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 do uh, art in other places, which it did lead to. You know. Now, going back to your childhood for a second, how how much of your abuse and things that you dealt with do you believe had to do with the decisions that you made later in life? I'd say it had to do a lot with it. And the reason why I say that is because um, I didn't know how to be a a dad. I didn't know how to be a uh, role model. I didn't know how to be a positive example. Um, I didn't know uh, how to be a person, just a regular person, you know, that didn't display or uh, show anger, you know, and uh, project it, you know, and. It was hard. And then leaving at a young age to the streets, even that made it harder because of the fact that I had to um, be a tough guy on the streets. And uh, I was real healthy at a young age. You know, I worked out a lot and I was in shape. A lot of people tested me and, you know, became a fighter. That's what I did. I fought. I had another individual that I had done a podcast with, um, this guy, Joe Potosi, and he had dealt with an enormous amount of abuse as a child. Uh, he didn't actually necessarily go the drug and alcohol route in his life, but it definitely really negatively impacted him. 
Um, and I had a, I was, I always think about this with like your parents, I guess your stepfather and your mother, um, what was their upbringing like? Did they go, did they have similar? You know, uh, I would have to say that my mom, she didn't really, um, have that, but my, um, my stepdad may have had that. Okay. I don't know a lot of his history. I don't know a lot of his uh, struggles. I do know that um, he later on in life did apologize for, uh, you know, his actions and how he he uh, treated me. And it was a hard thing for me to do. But I sat down with him and, you know, I explained to him, you know, how much he uh, impacted my life in a negative way. And I forgave him which is tough. Yeah. 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 And we had, we had spoken and we've only really spoken, you know, once before primarily about anything about your history. And another thing that really interested me when we were talking was, and especially with what's going on now with this racial issues that we're seeing out here in society in terms of the racial profiling on you. So, you know, you dealt with, you know, an abusive upbringing, an abusive, uh, you know, beat a lot probably and had to deal with that growing up. And and then you compound that with the potential racial profiling that you had basically discussed. You, would you kind of talk about that a little briefly? Uh, I have the look of somebody who is probably, you know, a convict or somebody who's been around or done time or what and automatically I get it. They're either uh, pulling me over, approaching me or uh, asking me questions, wanting to search or, you know, and uh, I wouldn't pull over for them before. I would never uh, even come in contact with them. I would go on a chase and that's what I did. I was a runner. I'd run from them and I'm barely coming to terms of knowing that uh, there has to come a point in time where you bridge the gap. And I did that with my art, and that's what I think has uh, opened um, a communication line for me to uh, kind of ha- take that bad taste in my mouth towards them, and uh, kind of seeing them for who they are and what. You know, but a lot of people still do get that; they get that race. They feel like they're being racially profiled. Uh, I I feel like I get it at times still too. You know, I'm Native American and Mexican, and I'm I'm, I'm proud to be and. Uh, it's just one of those things where if they see someone like that with nice, a nice car or like my RV or whatever, they, they want to know uh, who they are or what, you know, how they got it or whatever it is. And, and some people do work hard, you know, and some people uh, uh, deserve to get a chance to have those nice things. And now you're, you're, you're running, you know, from the police. Was that fear-based? Oh, yeah. And, and the reason why it was fear-based is because of the approach. The approach wasn't always uh, good with me. I'm a big guy. And if they, if the car was under my name, of course, they run the plates and they see that, you know, this is who they're facing. Automatically, they want to call Sheriff's Tactic Force, you know, and back up in K-9 and helicopters and all this. And it's, it's not even necessary. A lot of the times it wasn't necessary. And they made it into a big, big thing when it wasn't. I've been accused of charges at times and later on found out that it wasn't me. 
and they apologized, you know, because they, they tried to accuse me of robbing a 7-Eleven. And the person left latent prints, but they took me in custody for it and, and totally swore up and down that it was me. And then when they got the video back from 7-Eleven, it proved that it wasn't me. And, um, you know, and that was a high-speed chase that could have ended in them uh, taking my life because it was Sheriff's Tactic Force, hostage investigators, Bataram, nine-hour standoff. And um, they really feared me, they, or they really scared me, I should say. And um, they put a lot of fear in me. And uh, when people are scared, uh, they could sometimes react instead of respond. And sometimes they make a, a lifetime commitment and a temporary feeling and that they regret later. And uh, I don't ever want to hurt nobody. I don't ever want to... Uh, harm anyone or anything like that. I try my best to stand my ground as a person. Um, but uh, it, it's a fact and it's proven that um, law enforcement has in the past been a huge, huge uh, uh, problem for me in, in trying to get my life together. It really has. And it's a lot better now. But just like I, I shared with you right before the podcast, I, I I got approached by sheriffs and it's because I'm a new RV in the area and people have RVs. If mine is legit and you want to know who I am, you could run my plates. If I'm legit, then keep going. That's how I feel about it. But they wanted to, you know, ask questions and what, and I complied and they appreciated it. They appreciated it. And I told them straight out, I says, look, I don't, I don't normally stop like this. I don't even open my door. I said, I probably would have jumped behind my wheel and took off. That's how I normally do it because of fear and because of me not wanting to ever uh, have to go back. But you're going to get caught and it, uh, and I hardly got away with anything. Years ago in 2001, I was arrested four times in six months. And the first one of those arrests of those four, I was running and the I came out of this gate and I saw all these sheriffs there. And so I laid down, I literally laid down and I had a sheriff came that jammed his knee into my neck, just like similar to, we hear that story and I couldn't breathe and I kept trying to scream and I'm, and I'm trying to fight him, right. To just to breathe. And they're screaming at me that I'm resisting arrest, you know, as I'm continuing to try to breathe. And it's it's kind of ironic in that sense, you know, of how how, how uh, it does look like I'm resisting. And yes, I am resisting because I'm trying to breathe. It's a fight for your life. It is. Yeah. And so you had a drug problem too. Yes. Um, and you were telling me there was methamphetamine. How, yes, how long? Did. How long had you used methamphetamine? Uh, Twenty three years on there. And when you would leave prison, and you were obviously on parole. What would typically happen? What would, uh, mm -hmm. what would be the, the things that would happen that would send you back into making poor decisions? A, just feeling like I wasn't a part of, I think was a big, huge thing. Uh, acceptance of like, uh, you can live with family, you can stay with them, but you wear your welcome out, that's what people know. Uh, uh, and usually you run the family because you can't do it on your own or supervising staffing, uh, providing the resources. Uh, for you to, to, to get employment, you know, um, or uh, you're just not getting hired when you do look for work. And so 
you feel like a failure. You feel like uh, you can't make it in society. Then when you get to markets, you get the community. Uh, there's community and the communities. Uh, there's certain groups in the communities, such as Neighborhood Watch or, you know, uh, different groups that are in areas that uh, fight crime. And they they watch uh, people that are in their area that are new that come out and sometimes even provoke. You know, they they uh, they look at us as lesser. They treat you like like crap. They um, try to trigger you. You know, they try to uh, make you uh, want to react. Yeah. So, uh, all, with all those things together, um, you say to yourself, "Man, I can't, I can't handle it out here. It's too overwhelming." You know, uh, and you just want to go back. I used to tell myself, like, I, I've made good money in the past. I have these talents to make money. Um, and I was saying to myself, I'm not going to buy an, a, another nice car. I'm not going to buy a boat or all these other things. Why should I? I'm going back in about 36 days. Uh, that's how I thought all the time. And uh, it's a 27-year career that, that I, I, a revolving door that I just had in my head. It's These, almost a, a relief to go back to prison then. It, it, it was, it was. Um, and the reason why is because that's why I say it's important to have a place to lay your head. It really is. It, having a place to lay your head where you're comfortable. Like I have this motor home that I bought and I'd lay my head. I, I could sleep every night and, and, and know that I'm okay, you know. I do a lot of brainstorming. I think I study, I do all these different things, but uh, the point I'm making with it is um, a lot of people don't have that. They don't have it. And so they're, uh, they feel like they're in the open in society and that they're just, uh, everyone's against them and they're, they're not going to, they're not going to make it. They're going to be a failure and they're going to keep continuing going back. And some of the people in society would rather see people go back for life. They would rather see it. And if they know they have that you have two strikes, yeah, trust and believe they will try to provoke. Some people will. That's just all it is. When we kind of go back to the, the reasons why it becomes very difficult for people to stay out of prison. And you know, there's a lot of different reasons. But one thing that I've thought heavily on is, you know, that the Golden State government makes it unusually difficult for it's struggling residents to find jobs and, you know, to stay out of prison, ex convicts, they need a way to provide for themselves legally. And this is something that I've seen over and over and people will get out of prison and they will try to get jobs and people will deny them because of their record. And especially nowadays they are running records more and more. And there's so many barriers to employment and um, you know, we have a state where there's abundance of, um, you know, licensing laws or certification, or you have to have worked in a certain field for so long um, to get the ability to perform those duties. Even when safety can be a reasonable concern, the requirements a lot of times don't match the occupation, right? I'll give you I'll give you a number real quick, and I found this interesting. Was that a California landscaper has to complete one thousand four hundred and sixty days of training, where an EMT, an emergency medical technician, is only required to train for twenty eight days. And so, if safety is a priority, shouldn't it be the reverse? <laughs> 
And so, and this is one of the biggest issues of why recidivism is so high in California, because there's so many standards on what you have to do to perform all of these different jobs. And you have to be certified and you have to be licensed. Even in the industry that I work in, which is the substance abuse industry, you know, we have to be certified to be an addiction counselor. Now we have a lot of people up in Sacramento that are working to shut down the ability for all these counselors who have records, right, to be able to do this, that you have to have licenses and these different things. So once again, here's just another thing of like, well, you know, you've got a prison prison record, so we don't want you to work in the field that you're an actual expert in because you have all of this experience. And yes, I did go exactly. to Exactly. You're the, the best person that you want. Yes. Real quick, I, if I could say something real quick on that note, what you just discussed right now on the uh, the license, I mean, licensings and all that. Uh, for, for inmates that get out, and then this is um, information that they don't tell a lot of the parolees and, and probation um, that you're you're bonded, we're insured. If we get hired, um, they get cuts. The people that hire us get cuts, and it benefits them more in the future. Um, and some of the best workers, you got to understand, these guys in prison work for 10 cents an hour. We work for 10 cents an hour, 23 cents an hour, hard workers. If we have uh, a sense of direction of where to go with a job available and, and um, being accepted, we can make it out here. It'll keep us clean and sober, keep us um, motivated to have that drive and doing good. A job is very important, I think, yeah. So, sorry, I just had to say that because a lot of people don't know about the, you know, yeah, that do you know what are what are some of the places that will hire convicted felons? There's a list. I don't have the list, but uh, there's a list that even has Walmart. I, I I mean, I tried the Walmart and I did get uh, accepted for an interview. Then, furthermore, to get hired, but I end up getting another job. You know, um, but there's a lot of places that are felon friendly, and you could probably even Google uh, felon friendly um, jobs available. Or resources. Yeah. Do you have a job now? Yeah, I'm working now. Well, I'm I'm in transition to another job, but I'm working uh, doing paintings. That's what I do. I do paintings. I do uh, signs, banners. Uh, eventually, uh, eventually, pretty soon here, I'll be doing window paintings. Cause we got the seasons coming up, you know. Um, and then, um, you know, I I do tattoos also on the side and. Uh, uh, I'm returning back to uh, another area uh, with a job opportunity for me to uh, to participate with uh, a program that has uh, resources and truck driving. Um, they have a, a ranch uh, with animals and stuff like that, which I have experience in working on farms and that. So he wants me to, to get there with him and um, just assist him with the knowledge that I have. and helping him to uh, help the guys and keep them motivated to, to stay out and stay on track, you know? So when I had my program in Anaheim and I worked with the alternative sentencing, one of the things that I really tried to impress upon people was that no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. And that I think is so important, you know, because if we can truly believe that, we can do anything we want within reason 
and that we, you know, kind of get locked into this. These are my goals. These are my dreams. You know, with people in recovery, the people that succeed are the ones that have a direction. They know where they're going, what they're doing, how they're going to do it. And even though we don't always have all the answers, but we are the ones that when we hit a, when we hit a brick wall, we change direction or we go around the wall instead of trying to slam through it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I ran across you because when you have an RV, you meet a lot of homeless and that, and I've been homeless in the past, man, talent, skills. Like these guys are amazingly like they got the skills, you know, that to, to, to make it, uh, make a good life. And they're just not given a chance. Sad. It's sad, man, because um, they're over here working for pennies, helping people, you know, switch out motors and then every little wiring and, every, and like nothing. And they could be making really, really good money. And um, they're not given the chance. People think, you know, they're a felon. They're going to, you know, uh, take from me or, you know, he, they, that's what this program that I'm going to, uh, that um, he's, he's offering. He has uh, five different businesses. Like I shared, he has tow truck company, truck driving. He has the farm. He has a storage unit. And um, all of these places that he has, it's convicts working at him. And uh, all of them are given a chance, you know, to um, do something with their life and make it. So that they get that taste, you know. And that's all we need. That's all we need is just a chance, you know. Ask the questions. When you have somebody, ask them what they're good at. You'd be shocked. You'd be surprised. and. and the hidden talent. A lot of them don't even share it. They don't share it. You know, I'm, I'm multi-talented in a lot of different ways and I'm very grateful for that. I don't share it with a lot of people. Um, I do have the, the music and, and stuff. It, it's, I've been in the studio and, and the two songs I wrote were about changing my life and uh, the cold reality of if I didn't, it's, I'm going to end back up in, in prison. And I wrote those songs from my heart, you know, and, uh, you know, that was a, a part of, it's a part of my story. It's a part of my life. You know, um, it's an accomplishment, a goal that I uh, set for and I accomplished it. You know, I've been learning to uh, to set myself these goals and, and follow through with them. It's hard. It's tough. You have a lot of distraction. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that some of these places that people do go to, rehabs, treatment centers, sober livings, uh, not all of them are good. I, I'll be honest with you. Not all of them are good. Um a lot of them are greedy. A lot of them are, are, are uh, doing things that are, you know, aren't along the lines of really caring for the people that are there. You know, it's, and that's important. You know, that's very, very important because when you have somebody that's reaching out for help, they're ended up overdosing and just sent to another program and a detox, you know, and, and it just continues. It's a continuous cycle now. It's not how, how it works. You, you go there to get the help. And uh, the ones that are successful are the ones that have been around for the many years that they have. You know, uh, I think it's important for them to start looking at rehabilitation as opposed to incarceration. That's important. They got that CDCR. It used to be CDC. And they added that R. The courts gave them discretion to make the decision on as to who they felt fit the requirements or were fit for society uh, and rehabilitated. And if you've seen the inside of how it works and how it is now, 
they don't have no classes. They don't have no kind of uh, um, resources before you get out. And you could write as many requests as you want. They're not going to give you no, re- I mean, my experience, they didn't give me no resources, not even two or three sober livings or nothing. So I got out and had to find everything. Luckily, I, I did a little bit of homework beforehand. Um, and unfortunately, the, the, the person that was uh, assisting me to get somewhere, um, he wasn't all the way in with his heart. So I had to step away from that. And um, I had to make the decision, like, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to give up. It's, it's tough when you, somebody lets you down who's claiming to be, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's genuinely cares. And, you know, he didn't. So I had to make that decision. Like, you know what? Do I give up? Do I give up? Do I fall and end up back? I got to push. I got to keep going. And that's what I did. Dusted myself off and kept pushing, you know. What's the longest that you've been um, out of prison in between prison terms? I'd say about seven months. I got more time inside than I do outside in my life. So what's different this time? Man, what's different this time is that I'm older. <laughs> um, I've taken a lot of steps. I've reflected. I, I, I've, um, I took self-inventory. I, um, I realized after hearing other people that are in that are never going to get out. I'll give you an example. In, in federal, and you would have thought I would have learned, but I ended up going on one more, catch another case after. There was a guy who's been down 27 years. And this guy was a hitman for, you know, the mob or whatever. He comes up to me, says, hey, look, son, you got talent. You need to do something with that talent. I ain't never getting out. I ain't never petting a dog. I ain't never driving a car. I ain't never riding a bike. I ain't none of that. It's just you got what it takes. Get out there and do something. You got it. You made me laugh, son. I ain't laughed in 10 years. And I says, man, I appreciate that. That carried a little bit of weight because, you know, this is a hard person, 80-something years old, been down 27, ain't never getting out. It hit, it hit me hard, you know, and I took that with me, and I did the, you know, the comedy thing for a little bit and, and that, and it's not where my heart was at, so, but it's, I think of all those things now. I think of the consequences. When that cop pulls behind me or the, light, that, the lights light up, when an ambulance is around, I pull over to the side. Uh, when I see those caution signs, I slow down. Um, when a cop pulls behind me and hits the lights, I get upset. I get upset for the first few. And I start to pull over and they just take off, keep going. I, I almost want to think that they're doing it to see if I'm going to comply. Um, but the biggest thing that's different now is that um, I've changed, man. I, I've changed and I have a higher power, a God that I believe in. And um, I know that he's going to take care of me. Um, I know that I didn't live this long and survive the many things I survived, you know, being stabbed, shot, jumped, left for dead, beat down by Riverside law enforcement, you know, uh, RPD and that, and gnawed up by K-9 and all that. And even as I had 911 on the call surrendering and, and that dog was gnawing me up on my leg, man, and bit me, clamped on me. I told him I feel like I'm dying, and to hear him say that's I hope this is the last thing you see, showing me his badge, it's pretty heavy. It, it does something to you to make you not want to trust. It, it, you feel that way towards all of them, and not all of them are like that. I'm starting to see that now, you know, because this happened years ago, but 
starting to see that. And um, things are better now. Um, but they could be a lot more better. They have teams that work with uh, homeless people. And so their approach is different now. It's And it's on their websites and stuff. And it's supposed to be approach of how you doing, you know, you know, are you on any medications or, you know, cause it's, it's a lot of them have mental cases, their mental uh, health, dual diagnosis or their, their mental health, they have mental health issues. So of course, when you come up to someone who has mental health issues and possibly in their addiction and you're coming with aggression, they're going to react. They're going to run from you. They're going to um, uh, mouth to you or they're going to, they're going to, you know, uh, react in violence, but the approach is real important. It's, it's really, really important how they talk, how they come. It doesn't take two, three, four cops to show up if you're just checking if someone called. That's a power play. Um, I want to be there with my grandkids. I want to raise them. I want to be there with my beautiful daughter, you know, and um, and be reunited with my family. I think one of the toughest things on this time of my release is something that I had to deal with that uh, was hard. And it was the death of my uncle. My uncle was my dad. He was the person that I called every time I got out. And I ran to because he hired me. He worked in the film production, um, in, in movies and, and low budget pilot series sets. And I used to go to the sets and see Pamela Anderson and Natalie and a lot of these different uh, uh, series that were out. And it made me feel like I was a part of something. And then people would say, when I would be singing and stuff, they said, you need to be here. You know, you, you sing, because I was singing at this show called The One. And um, it was just a low budget pilot. And uh, I was cleaning while I was singing and the lady came out. She says, where's so-and-so? And I go, oh, I don't know. She goes, I just heard him singing right now. I go, no, that was me. She goes, that was you. And I go, yeah. She goes, let me hear that again. And I sing. She goes, you need to be here. And I, uh, <laughs> but it, it just, you know, little things like that. But I, I wasn't ready for it. And um, I always wanted in, in, to be in a movie or, or create, because I have this, man, my life is, is a movie. With the things that I've overcame and, and done, and, and seeing in my life, it'd be a really good movie. And, and I've been around those directors and producers. Um, and I, I didn't treat them no different. I didn't act like I was uh, starstruck or nothing. I, I, um, I wasn't ready. I'm ready now. I, I want to do something, either write a book or I want to do something. I think it needs to, uh, to be out there. The people really care about people. It's like we need to stop judging a book by its cover. And we need to also remember that people can change. Yeah. People have that ability to change. You say yeah. you seem like a fantastic guy, you know, and, uh, and you seem like you have a heart, but that's yeah. not normally what prison is, right? <laughs> if you were to kind of summarize um, something that you could share that would help people, what would that be? I would say when you see an opportunity, uh, don't pass it by. Um, share your talents or what you got to offer. Take the chance. If if you see a business that can use, if you have a skill, certain skill set in that um, type of business, go up there, approach it, ask them, share with them, tell them, look, I'm a felon. I made some mistakes in my life, but all I'm asking is that you, you give me a chance. This is um, 
the years that I have of experience, this is what I can and can't do. You have to be sincere. You know, you have to uh, separate yourself from uh, negative influences that are going to keep you on the ground, kick you when you're on the ground, and start to surround yourself with positive people that are going to help you fly in life and give yourself a chance. You got you to gotta reach out. That's what I did. I reached out. And um, as I reached out, other people seeing that I had the talent, that I had what it takes. So then now they're pulling me in their direction. Uh, so my mission is accomplished, you know, soon here with the rehab I was working at. And then now I'm going to another place that is even bigger. And it's going to probably be uh, a lot better, you know. So it's, um, don't give up. Never give up, man. Um, there's a lot of people like you that that are going through the same thing. You're not alone. And um, there's certain duties that even probation have, you know, before they just want to lock people up. You know what? Locking them up. That's it. That's going to solve the problem. That doesn't solve nothing. It doesn't help nothing. And um, now they're being a little bit more lenient. They're understanding. And that's that's important. It's tough um, for people like myself to still even um, talk to a probation officer when he shows up at the house with all his gear and all that. You know, he showed up at the house and I'm like, "Ah, why is it, you know, you just came to do a house check. Like, all this is like unnecessary. The truth of it is because of my history and my past, it may be, it may, it may be necessary in his eyes or what, you know, but I'm changed. I'm a changed man. I'm, I'm, you know, I think what happened to me the most is that I, I, I believe, you know, God's been taking care of me and has, has had his hands around me, protecting me. That's important. And my mom's prayers. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else you want to share? There's a, I know there's a lot of artists out there that are good. You know, I created a lot of different ones that, you know, are even in back, I'm back of you right there. The COVID-19 one and all that's for, that was for state. San Bernardino, I did some for, um, yeah, create some stuff, man. And uh, like, I've helped a few people that they got their own clothing line going on and, and stuff like that. But, um, use art as a therapy to help you go through some things. If you're, if you're struggling, either write or, or draw paint, it helps you help you overcome it, man. Express where, yourself on it. Where, where are you at in that picture? I don't see myself. I think I'm right here. Yeah, you're on the. Oh, that's at a prison. Okay. That's at a, a visiting room. It's inside of a visiting room. Um, the visiting room was real bland and had nothing on the wall. I've created murals in there. So I uh, submitted some art. They sent it to the chain of command. They immediately approved it and got the materials. And I went to town and I created all those. Uh, those other uh, pictures, uh, they're not, I don't see them up there or not, but yeah, I did them all and they, they uh, the warden signed all of them. He said thank you on all of them. They were amazed on how fast I got it done. I got that done in a week and a half and I, I filled up, I think it was like, wait, well, 12 characters. Yeah. And 12 hour days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got it done. I set that goal and I finished it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, hey, I want to thank you for coming on here. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, um, you know, definitely stay strong. You know, you got, um, you know, you, you definitely have a lot of talent. 
And uh, I like the fact that you're using it. I tell people all the time, don't worry about overcoming your weaknesses. Let's focus on your strengths. And you definitely got those. So um, again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Recovering Through Highness. I look forward to the next episode. I want to give you a heads up. Monday, I'm actually going to be having Jody Barber, who you know, on here. And, uh, and again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.